We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast. Bringing you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is a generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece yours truly hosted that I trust you will enjoy. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Joined now by Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, a feature here on the Hugh Hewitt Show. And, of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Pete4CA. Uh, Pete, good morning. I want to begin with the big story. It's the front page of the Wall Street Journal, Pacific Gas and Electric Files for Bankruptcy Following the California Wildfire Seeking Section 11 Protection. What do you make of that? Well, you, as you know, the fire season, especially this last one, which uh, actually affected Pepperdine deeply with the Woolsey fire, uh, but the Camp Fire and the, and the Northern California fires, which are more engaged in this uh, particular filing for bankruptcy, uh, shows that the uh, these utilities may have a stake uh, in the cause of these uh, terrible wildfires that have hit California. Obviously, they're seeking to get out from under the lawsuits that uh, have already been lodged against uh, the utility itself, but obviously uh, power has to be delivered. So uh, I don't I don't exactly know how we're going to find our way through this, um, but suffice it to say, it is reflective of a terrible wildfire season. The 2017 Tubbs fire burned 37,000 acres and killed 22 people. Many believe it was caused by a downed power line. But unless they limit liability, there won't be power producers. That's what the nuclear power industry needed back in the day when they were begun. They needed a guarantee against liability for uh, leaks. Otherwise, no one would try one. Do you think that California's legislature is going to find any way to protect their power delivery systems? Or is California going to go through that blackout phase again? Well, I certainly hope so, Hugh. As as, uh, you and I both know, uh, trial attorneys have been uh, big supporters of the Democratic Party here in the state, along with a lot of other people, frankly. Uh, at the same time, you're right. I mean, we, we do need uh, power delivered. And if uh, these uh, utilities are not protected against uh, these lawsuits, uh, we we do look at another uh, season, if not a, an era of uh, brownouts and blackouts. So there, we need to find a way through to protect the utilities so they can offer this essential service. They are quasi-governmental entities and treated differently uh, than than many private sector companies. And, and in that, uh, we do need to find a way to, to provide them pro- legal protection. Now, one of the very interesting aspects of this, Pete Peterson, I'm talking with the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, which is a sponsor of this program, by the way, but Pete's a good friend, and we just, we're going to get together in a couple of weeks anyway to talk through this stuff. The uh, journal reports that the restructuring process could provide an opening for PG&E to amend or cancel some $34.5 billion in longstanding contracts to purchase wind and solar power 
many of which were negotiated when market prices were higher. They were negotiated when natural gas hadn't begun to change the dynamic of energy pricing and brand new oil discovery. Energy has become cheap, 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 and that's not solar energy. That's not wind power. That's very expensive energy. That could be a silver lining to a Chapter 11. Well, it certainly could, you and and uh, as uh, again, you know, the California uh, legislature has been uh, very involved, uh, as well as the PUC, the reg- the uh, utilities regulatory group, in in uh, regulating and forcing greater use of uh, alternative energy sources. That has driven up the cost of energy to all Californians. It's one of the many things that makes living here in California so expensive. Uh, And so the insertion of that part in this possible agreement really does show to all Californians that uh, these these moves towards many of these alternative energy sources uh, makes life more expensive and and could be a way uh, to to force the legislature to act to provide these uh, necessary legal protections. Now, Pete Peterson, I want to change to a story about San Diego. San Diego Council of Government, a regional group, has started an ad campaign, Just Say No to Winter, which has received quite a lot of attention nationally because it is beautiful. You know, San Diego is America's finest city, yep. et cetera. And, and they're trying to get millennials to move to California. They're trying to get the people that you've got at the Graduate School of, uh, of Public Policy at Pepperdine to stay in California, move down to San Diego. And it's, it's a beautiful ad. I can't I've, – I've tweeted it out. People can look at it. But the question is, really, Pete Peterson, can an ad? It doesn't mention taxes. It doesn't mention unfunded pension liabilities. It doesn't mention it's a one-party state. Do you think an ad can trick people into understanding that or misunderstanding California's woes? Well, I think it at least will provide some initial uh, interest, maybe, in the state. You know, the Rose Bowl parade every year obviously was begun. Uh, as an effort to uh, attract Americans to California. Uh, but then the next step needs to be connecting on Redfin or Zillow or one of the real estate sites and just looking at how much real estate costs, whether it's in San Diego or where I live here in, in Los Angeles County. Uh, as we do, we're just talking about here, the, the cost, especially for millennials, especially those in the lower middle income uh, rungs of the economic ladder here in California is is just so exorbitant, and it's coming from so many different places. You mentioned taxes. We just talked about energy. Real estate, I think, is really one of the key drivers of people thinking about moving out of state. So it may provide some initial attraction, uh, especially this time of year and seeing the polar vortex back east. Uh, and in the Midwest, but at the same time, the next step is is looking at the prices and costs of living here in California. And unfortunately, this is just a, an incredibly expensive place to live. And, and that brings me to whether or not uh, the millennials they show riding a subway in Boston and looking at the cold aren't. They're not the smart millennials. The smart millennials are in Columbus. The smart millennials are in Minneapolis, St. Paul. The smart millennials are in Ann Arbor, where they can get a house and build a life and, and yeah, shovel snow some, but they do not have the government threatening them with single payer. And it looks like Gavin Newsom's serious about this. Well, it certainly was one of the drivers of the gubernatorial campaign. Uh, this this was the wedge issue on the on the left is we look back on really what split Gavin Newsom from 
who looked like he was going to be his main Democratic challenger, former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa. Villaraigosa was taking what I think was the more sane approach to saying and understanding that we all know how expensive and too expensive single-payer is. Uh, but for the nurses union and other support, Newsom certainly went along with supporting single payer. Uh, more importantly, though, it's coming out of the legislature, which actually passed a single payer bill over a year ago. So this is really where the Democratic Party is going. And as usual, uh, California is providing a a canary in a coal mine to the rest of America on this. Now, I also have seen uh, Senator Kamala Harris begin her presidential campaign. Have you been watching, by the way, how, how skilled she is at this? Very good, you. I mean, she really does. Uh, that, that event that she hosted to announce the campaign in Oakland was, uh, was uh, terrific media. Yeah, and so we've watched her for years, people in California. How would you describe her to non-Californians? As a political talent, if uh, if they haven't experienced her yet, well, Hugh, I think back to her first running uh, for statewide office, which was the attorney general's race in 2010. She that was uh, it's hard to believe it now, but she won by uh, less than two percent of the statewide vote to Steve Cooley, who was the L.A. County uh, attorney, um, the district attorney. Uh, since then, she has really uh, demonstrated some great political skills. Uh, she obviously uh, comes across very uh, congenial and supportive, at the same time strong, uh, you know, and, and running on this platform of uh, defending the people coming from this background as a state attorney general, uh, I think is a demonstration of, of, of her skill in, in being uh, both uh, connecting at the same time being strong. So she is a Formidable political figure. Formidable political figure, and I also think um, someone who gets better as the race goes on. I, I've been watching her a long time. I think she has a skill set which is unique, and I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was in New York Central Park with Van Jones doing a, an, an event, I guess it would be 18 months ago, the summer of 18 months ago, after President Trump had been elected, and uh, it was Central Park, so it was a very diverse audience, age and ethnicity, but it was pretty far to the left, and I was the punching bag for Van, but that's fine. I don't mind that. <laughs> and at the end, the, the moderator says to me, so is there anything you want to say that you haven't said? I said, yeah, I just want to say that uh, that you your party has an incandescent political talent in Kamala Harris, and there was a uh, a spontaneous standing ovation. Now, they wouldn't know Kamala if they walked into her on a subway, right? But right. they like the idea of her. What is that idea, Pete Peterson? Well, again, I think it's the ability to connect both in a very personal way, but also have a sense of strength. You know, it's not often that either men or women possess that ability, especially as a political figure, to connect on a personal level, but also to be seen as someone who is strong. And I think that combination... Uh, is is really uh, is striking, and it goes to that point that you made that that description of incandescent. I think is is good. Now on the policy side, you know, has problems with math, right? She's not very good in being able to add these things together. At the same time, though, as a political figure, uh, again, she's she's very strong. Then what do you think about on there? She is on one side. Then you've got down in L.A. Uh, a mayor who you have to deal with all the time, and you've got up yeah. in Sacramento a governor you have to deal with all the time. They are not without ambitions either. Do you see Garcetti getting in? Do you think Gavin Newsom's going to sit this out? 
Well, the, the, the story uh, that we just saw break about a week ago that Newsom was running Facebook ads in, in Iowa and a couple of the other uh, battleground early uh, primary states was uh, very surprising. I know some people that have been taken up into his campaign and, and uh, frankly, a couple uh, smart folks. So that, that would surprise me. I, I do expect the Garcetti run. Um, I, I don't know that for sure, but... I, I would be surprised if he does not get in. You know, it, it's about finding your lane, and I believe he believes that uh, he can be seen as that, uh, at least in perception, a moderate Democratic uh, city leader. Now, you're an Angelino. I knew his dad pretty well. He used to show up on Life and Times with me when I did the PBS News Hour with uh, Pat Morrison and Kermit Maddox for years. And his dad was a true centrist. Um, uh, uh, Mayor Garcetti... I'm not sure what he is. He got the Olympics. That's a good thing. But but what else has he done in L.A., uh, uh, Pete Peterson? Well, it, the city continues to struggle uh, fiscally, even in a even in a boom time. I'm sure uh, many of your listeners know about the recent uh, LAUSD strike. I mean, that was just a window into some of the deeper fiscal problems. That's obviously on the school district side, but there were some parts of that that t- took in some of these pension issues that I know – uh, you talk quite a bit about and are so important. So there's some deep fiscal issues there that are problems. Crime is down. Just announced uh, yesterday that uh, we're seeing some of the lowest crime rates in California. But as with so many things, it's not just the record. It's the it's the personality and the and the broader political perception. And I think as you described his dad, who I I, I just saw at an event a couple of weeks ago, I think uh, Garcetti is trying to cut that same jib. Uh, but I think it's going to be very hard to do that and make it through a primary which, in which the base has moved so far left in the Democratic Party. Now, now I'm curious as well about the alleged $20 billion surplus that California has. And I'm, <laughs> it's alleged because we have $450 billion in unfunded pension liabilities in my old state. That's money that is committed to be paid that... There is no Chapter 11 for a state government to shed contracts like PG&E is going to shed contracts. Is it really right to call it a surplus? It's absolutely not, you. I mean, uh, and again, just to look back at this recent LAUSD strike where uh, when you get underneath the headlines uh, about uh, pay raises and, and several other uh, elements within that agreement, really what you see driving all of this has been an increase in pension payments to CalSTRS, which is the the statewide pension system for teachers in the state. And in that, you see that uh, really what is driving up the cost of government is uh, not the hiring of new employees, but the paying of retired ones. And, uh, you know, this whole idea of uh, crowding out, that uh, we're putting money into pensions, that is not going into filling potholes and paying cops and paying new firefighters and teachers is is really a, a significant part of the underlying fiscal uh, challenges facing the state. You know, this is why the Say No to Winter campaign by San Diego is actually false advertising. Uh, <laughs> y- y- you can't escape the looming fiscal collapse of California, you just, especially if you're a millennial. Even if you're yeah. middle-aged, you've got to be 70 or 75 or 80 to escape what's going to happen here. Am I right, Pete Peterson? Unfortunately, I, I think you argue that these, uh, again, very fundamental fiscal issues, it's just, I've said many, many times that California is a math problem. 
And unless we address these underlying fiscal issues, uh, we're really just putting the burdens on future taxpayers. And unfortunately, even current ones are being affected by this crowding out that's happening in local and state government. Now, I want to cover two more things with you, Pete Peterson. I think they're important for the national audience to know. Part of the Los Angeles Unified School District strike was about killing charter schools in the cradle. Uh, I kept listening closely to the rhetoric coming from the, the teachers union, and they always talked about class size, and I thought, that's rhetoric. And then they talked about it's not really about money, but they said, and we have these unsupervised charter schools. They are threatened by charter schools, and they're trying to kill them in the cradle. What should be the response of serious people? Well, this is a dividing line. And, and Hugh, frankly, to take a broader political look at this, this is something that actually uh, Republicans and working with uh, like-minded Democrats, there, as you know, there's a significant Democratic uh, part of the Democratic Party here in California and here in even Los Angeles County that supports education reform, uh, obviously implicit in that is charters. And uh, and that certainly was a part of this LEUSD strike. And the move by the union was, was not just about pay. It was about suppressing the growth of, of charter schools and education reform more broadly. And so I think in that, people of uh, this, this really is a bipartisan, multipartisan issue uh, that I think there are some great opportunities to build and support a coalition for education reform here in Southern California, much less California more broadly. Now, now, but do you think anyone missed it? Did they, did they not get it? It was not, in my opinion, covered by the media at all that this was one of their bargaining demands, that they really are threatened. That's not normally a bargaining demand of a teacher's union to kill off charter schools. So the LAUSD teachers must be profoundly insecure in the face of choice. I think that's right, and but we, and we've seen this, especially in Los Angeles. The last uh, LAUSD uh, elections to school board were really uh, on the crux of this issue. You know, this was the dividing line between uh, candidates, whether they supported education reform or didn't, whether they supported charters or didn't. The charter uh, proponents, with a lot of support from Democrats, uh, made it through in this last election, but there needs to be continued pressure to support education reform. But you're right. The media did not cover enough this part. It was much more about pay and school size. Uh, there needs to be better and deeper coverage about the implications for education reform in this last agreement. Last subject in a, in a long conversation. I appreciate your time, Pete Peterson. It's good to go deep yep. occasionally. This concerns the California fire, uh, the insurance commissioner, coming out and saying that we, quote, need to have a conversation about where we're building, close quote, because of fire damages. And this is, I've been hearing this for 30 years, that the problem is we're building out into the forest. In fact, the problem is we're not clearing the forest, and we have climate change, and we do have new fires. But now he's telling us that the fire insurance market is collapsing uh, in California. That is an incredible risk to this state. It is, Hugh, and, and to the point about forestry management, I, I, I would love to see where the insurance risk levels would be if we actually treated uh, our forests in a way that understood these uh, really um, often cyclical uh, fire seasons. You know, where I am on campus in Malibu, uh, there's a black ring around campus, and that black ring from the Woolsey fire it was right around the 200-foot brush cut that the university 
maintains in order to protect the campus, and it really did save it. Uh, and so with that, with, uh, with building materials that are fire retardant, with doing things from a forestry management perspective that are sane, uh, let's get that. Let's get those measures done first before we look at at where the insurance markets are, because there are a lot of things we could and should be doing uh, year after year in forestry management to protect Californians and to make it possible for Californians to live in a lot of different places. And a last question: uh, the insurance commissioner said we need to have a conversation. To me, that translates as, I have no idea what to do. Do you agree with me that we need to have a conversation equals, I have no idea what to do? Well, I think it's a minister. I've heard that phrase used also when somebody says we need to have a conversation, that somebody knows exactly what to do. So (laughs) either we know exactly what to do or we don't have a clue what to do. Suffice it to say, it's not about hosting a real conversation. I agree with you there. Pete Peterson, dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Always a great pleasure. Come back again soon. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today.